welcome to the live episode of Catch Up. Uh, Catch Up is a podcast about contemporary hip-hop that examines where hip-hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. I'm James Rathbone. And thank you guys so much for being here. So, as I'm sure you all know, I'm just going to go over this anyway, Academics is a blogger, um, a hip-hop personality, a provocateur, uh, some would call him a troll maybe, uh, but he's a, a very unique voice in hip-hop and somebody who has a comp that is unlike anyone in the history of the genre, which is why he's super interesting for us to talk to. So, without further ado, please join me in welcoming DJ Academics to him. Some of the first of all, t- talk to us about your like childhood and growing up and your discovery of music and what artists you were into when you were younger. So I was born in Jamaica. Like if you see where I came from, like the rural parts of Jamaica, um, like the hills. Like you would never even imagine to see where I'm at now or like where, where even I live now. Like I live in New Jersey. Like and where I came from, you can't even see that trajectory unless you actually. It's like one out of a million. Like, I feel like I hit the lottery, right? And it's not that I was, like, in a crazy situation. It's just, like, my introduction of hip-hop is literally me as a kid in Jamaica. We listen to dancehall, reggae. Um, and I hear, like, Biggie. Like, I literally hear Biggie, like, sometimes because they're like, yo, this guy's Jamaican, but he's, like, overseas. And that was really my first introduction to hip-hop. I moved over here in 2000, well, we're in Canada, so I moved to the United States, and to New Jersey in um, 2001, and instantly there's Jay and Nas beefing, and to be honest, I felt like I felt like I was too late. I felt like I was too late to the culture. I was like, oh my god, people are arguing at lunch. I'm like, oh yo, you guys are taking this thing too serious. But I kind of found my way to fit in. Um, my first favorite artist when I got to the U.S. was The Game. For whatever reason, it was just that, like, the way how he graphically painted a picture of his lifestyle, and it was so different from mine. Hip-hop, for me, was an escape. It still is. You know, like, I like listening to music. It might sound bad morally. That's why I say not everything with me makes all the way sense. might sound morally wrong. Like, I really like when someone's saying they just killed 20 people, but I would never do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, like, I'm living vicariously. I look at it as entertainment. You know, you watch your favorite movie, and, like, you're watching whatever character. Like, yo, I want you want to see your character turn up, and that's exactly how I view music. So my favorite character was The Game. You know, I found out a lot about gang culture because, again, you know, that's not the structure we had in Jamaica. So I'm finding out a lot about music there, and... After, after the game, you know, I followed his career. I never liked the popular rapper. I never liked the popular person, anything. Like, in basketball, everybody loved Kobe. In, like, t- 2001, Kobe, Shaq, I'm an Iverson guy. Went to the finals, he lost. But he's an underdog, and he always tried. Everybody loved 50? Cool. I, I like 50, but my favorite? It's going to be the underdog, the guy from the West. He's, he's going against the grain. And that's kind of the story of my life in a, in a little bit, you know? Um, in terms of favorite rappers, as you ask, after, after the game, I think, I think maybe I had a little Jeezy phase, but like, it went to like Drake. Like, 
we, we caught up real quick. You know what yeah, I mean? That's like 2009, um, 2010, already with the shits. Um, so how did you get into vlogging? Because you were kind of, you are pretty early on that, that wave. It's, was it like sort of one of the first things when you thought of, after you graduated from Rutgers, you wanted to get into media and you saw that as a path? Or what was kind of your origins as in this sort of media world? Alright, y'all wanna know the truth? Here's the thing, right? So, really music was my passion. Going into, I used to be a huge gaming fan. Like, I was gaming heavy into college. Like, by the way, if I'm talking too much, just you could hit me at any time, like, sure in the step, fucking We'll story. step in, we'll step in. So, I get to college. Um, like, I was overweight in high school. I get to college, worked out, now I'm like in good shape. I'm getting chicks, I'm like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> in, at least in the United States it's just all about status real talk so, so I'm like I'm in college like I'm already like getting killed by the books I'm like at least I could get some girls out here right <laughs> high school was just whack because they looked at me like yo this is the Jamaican kid who wasn't with us in kindergarten no one talked to me everybody looked at me as an outcast college was a new start so I'm in college I like gaming but like, like I gotta get out there a little bit more and one of the things that really got me out there, like, I got these group of friends who were, like, Nigerian. You know what I mean? Like, all my, all my best friends are always African. I don't know what it is. I'm Nigerian. You know the vibes. <laughs> so, basically, we're cool. We're throwing, like, these little parties, like, just on campus because, like, all the frats got shut down for hazing. And I was a DJ. I used to produce, and, like, my, my, my high moment is, like, there's an artist that Cameron signed that I got a B to. I don't know if he who, ever used who, it. Who was it? Um, Tom Gist. Like, he had this thing called the UN. I don't know if, y'all probably like, yo, who, which irrelevant nigga you talking about? <laughs> Trust me, there's somebody called Tom Gist. He used to be in the UN. That's when Cam was kind of breaking off from Dipset. He was trying to do his own thing. He had his group. It was Tom Gist and a guy named Pence. And they hit me up about a beat I did like in my dorm room. I'm like, oh shit, I'm about to, I'm about to blow up. Didn't really happen like that. Started selling beats online for like 20 bucks. I remember I made my first two sales and I thought I was rich because I was like, yo, this is like my talent giving me money. I'm, I'm lit. Anyway, we started throwing these parties. Because of my, my experience with the DJing software, well, with the production software that was making beats, I was a DJ. So like everybody had a title. My guy was the bouncer, the biggest one in our group. Other guy, well, he always brought the bottle, so he's a bartender. I play around with music, I'm the DJ, and another guy who just always know how to talk to ladies, you're the promoter. We just all got titles, and we just had like this little thing in college. But it ramps up when we're doing, we're doing our thing on campus, doing a lot of parties, and I'm like, what's the next level? The next level, honestly, was um, getting on campus radio. And I think that's where like the Jamaican in me comes out. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with Jamaican culture. A DJ in Jamaican culture is called a selector. And they're almost the core of what dancehall or reggae is. Like, they dictate the space. It was different for me when I got introduced to hip-hop because the DJ is told to shut the fuck up, hit buttons, and keep the vibe going. In Jamaica, like, just, if y'all are over age, just go to Google, type in Pasa Pasa, and you will see how a DJ, <laughs> seriously, you'll see how a DJ interacts. Like, they're stopping the music and talking for two minutes. They're the life of the party. So I'm like, this is kind of wacky shit. I'm DJing now, but they want me to shut the fuck up. So I said, okay, this is my outlet. 
going to do college radio. So I went to the radio station, and even them were like, yo, you talk too much. Play more music, talk less. So I'm now talking, like, I'm doing these little talk breaks. I play music for 10 minutes, I talk for five. They're like, no, play for 13, talk for two. I do that for a while, and this is, to speed up the story, this is what you guys are interested in. I get kicked off, I can't remember what year, but Big Sean had a song out. Like, this is like just regular college radio. Big Sean had this, so I'm at the radio station, I gotta do everything. I bring in guests every week, I'm like, I'm just a drama type of nigga. Like, I don't know, like, if, if, I, if I'm in the, your group of friends, if we're drinking, I'm gonna make sure two of y'all fight. I'm sorry, like, just, I'm sorry. Like, whoever has beef, like, we're getting it out tonight. Like, no one's gonna be just secretly, yo, I don't like her, like, you tell me, I don't like her, and then the other person, like, I don't like her. So y'all both don't like each other, and you're acting like it's a secret? Wait. Wait till today, you know what I mean? That's, that's me. I'm sorry, that's just me. So, I'm on this little campus radio station starting all the shit in the world. I'm exposing people for cheating. I'm ending relationships. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm having people call out other people for fights. I'm doing it all. Wait, on the radio show, you would, you would, like, you would name people and say, this person is... No, no, so, so like, and I'm pretty sure you guys have that out here. Like, fraternities. I'm like, okay, yep. cool, you're in a fraternity. Yo, who you don't like? I'd be like, yo, oh, you, who do you don't like? Yo, I saw you in a party last night. I was DJing with that girl. That's not your girl. You know whose girl that is, right? <laughs> Where, you hit it? Like, that's me. So crazy drama. That's all going on. And really the breakthrough point, because I got kicked off that show, because they were listening like, yo, dude, we get that you DJ around campus, but you're doing way too much. And they kind of figured that out because they're like, like, we're like really PC. They were a rock station. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> One day, they were looking for any reason to kick me off. Any reason in the world. So, of course, we're playing on like, it's like the airwaves is patrolled, at least in the United States, by the FCC. You can't say curse words, this and third. Of course, I'm a DJ. I got like 20 versions of songs. So I'm like, okay, I'm straight. One day, I go to get a guest. And again, I was at the station by myself. So I play a playlist of songs. Keep in mind, I was probably the only new DJ to the station in terms of like new personality on the station that they were listened to. Everybody there was listened to because I was getting the most ratings. I was starting the most shit. I was just doing a lot of fuckery, okay? <laughs> so they're all listening for me to make one mistake. I, I play a playlist of songs that I could go get a guest. I got to open the door because the buildings were shut down on the day they gave me. Big Sean song, Dance or Ass came on. If y'all know how the song goes, it's ass, 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 ass. Like, stop. That motherfucker. Exactly. I play the shit, and basically, they just kicked me off the, sh the radio show for it. They were like, yo, to, to be honest, like, they gave me a long talk. To be honest, um, ass is not like a banned word, but if, you, if it's said like 20 times in succession, <laughs> like, pretty much just basically saying, bro, we've been looking for a reason to kick you off this whole time. Finally, like you kind of just gave it. So anyway, fortunately for me, like I was such a shit starter. Like it hit me at one point. They told me they were like, "Yo, there's about between 500 and a thousand people that listen to you every week." And I was like, "For the amount of bullshit, it's like the Jerry Springer show." I'm like, "For the amount of bullshit I'm starting, I feel like a lot more people would enjoy." It. So I started just <laughs> upload my episodes to YouTube, and after like literally a few months. They're still telling me it's only 500 to 1,000, but I'm getting like 4,000, 5,000 views online. I'm like, 
okay, somebody cares about this bullshit. So they kicked me on the show, and it was the best thing. You know, I was sad at first, but I realized, why do I care that much about the show when I was getting an audience online? And I bought a bunch of equipment. I've always been a big person and invest in yourself first. Bought all the equipment that I saw on Hot 97. I looked at one of their videos, I'm like, what mic is that? What is that? Bought everything, everything. So I bought it and I started to like make videos just like I was doing at the, the, uh, the radio station, but I was lying to like my audience like I was still there. I didn't want to tell them I got fired. Uh -huh. I thought they were going to be like, yo, you bum ass. Like, get, the, get the fuck. So I was lying to them. And like literally about six months in, I realized like they were getting their own community. Like they didn't care that I was at a radio station. I was seeing the same people pop back up. They were having internal jokes. They were forming a community that didn't care about where I recorded, who I was with, who was backing me. And uh, like a light bulb came on. It was like, just name your audience and talk to them. Don't act like they don't exist. And from then on, I started doing videos online weekly. Then I realized people wanted it more. I started doing it daily and all the way up to now. Okay, so what kind of videos were you making early on? Yeah, I was kind of doing like think pieces a little bit more in terms of, I remember doing, I don't know if, any of you have been to New York? Okay. Don't sure, clap. almost everyone. Don't clap, don't clap. <laughs> if you've ever been to New York, the music scene in New York is like the most entitled son of a bitches in the world. Like they just feel like, yo, we're in New York. We don't care that there's people all over this planet. We should just be popping because we're in New York. This is the Mecca, all of that bullshit you hear constantly. And this is while, like, keep in mind, this is around like 2010, so New York is still kind of popping. And I'm, and, and, but it was starting to fade. And like, my whole thing was just saying, hip hop is universal. So I did like a think piece on it. I got killed. People were like, yo, no, New York is the shit. And I'm like, no, like, the new thing is the internet. Nobody gives a fuck if you're from New York, South Dakota, Atlanta, LA, or even you could be in fucking New Mexico. If you get it popping, you get it popping. Nobody wanted to hear that because it's New York. And I, start, I went viral for that. Then I went viral for, in 2000, I think it was 12 or 13, for my Yeezus review. So I was doing just think pieces, reviews on albums, and I remember I called Kanye's album fucking trash. Like, it was just unbearable. I couldn't listen to it. It was like putrid. It was, it was it, it, sonically, like, it was one of the worst things I've ever had to experience. And... It was just me just being honest. And it went viral and it was like, it, it was really extreme. Some people were like, yo, that's exactly how I feel. Why don't everybody say it? And then some other people were like, yo, this guy's the biggest hater on earth. And I've kind of just realized ever since then, like, there is, for me, success has been focusing on, like, the people on the extremes. Anything I do, you're gonna really like it or really hate it. I've never seen a person be like, yo, you're cool. Yo, you, you're cool. like you're cool, and, and I became okay with it. So I started doing those things. It went viral. Then I did the Warren Chirac, and that shit just was okay. What's what's going on in your life as you're making these videos? Are you do you have a day job? Like the early days, do you have a day job, or are you just focusing on making the videos? Did you have a a route plan for how this is going to become a full time business for you? Fuck no, no. This is a real story. Y'all might think this is, and I don't know the equivalent in like Canada, but this is real. So, I went to college for five years, 
racked up a huge bill, over $100,000 old. Like, like my brother, he's around here somewhere. Look at him. <laughs> he went to um, another college, and I saw my mom. She took out, like, these huge loans to, like, you know, make sure he went to school. And I was like, you know, at some, at some point in life, and that's why I went really for, like, some math shit. I'm like, I'm going to be rich, so, like, I'll just put everything on myself. But I stayed at college for five years, and the last five and a half, I think. And the last couple of years, I was figuring out how to do what I was passionate about. And when I was in that point of not knowing if it was going to work, I'm out of school. And also, I was below the credits where you could, it's called deferment, where it's like, oh, I'll not start paying yet. So they're hitting me, and they're really like, yo, where are money at? Like, you owe us $100,000 for school. What's up? I don't have a job. I'm DJing. I'm like doing this thing, like, like still trying to produce a little bit. I'm doing the radio stuff. I'm like, somehow this is going to work. I remember one day, and, and the loan company, they're called Sally May. I remember one time they called me, and they were like, they were sending, I mean, it had to be like a thousand letters to like the, the place I was at. Like literally, letter, letter, letter. You owe us, you owe us. And I remember one time they called me, and I accidentally picked up. But like, they... They call blocked. Like, yo, I didn't know the debt collectors call blocked. So I'm like, it's got to be a girl. So I, so I picked up, hello, and literally, they said to me, they were like, hey, hey, we know you've been avoiding our calls, and I'm like, I'm lying to them, straight up lying. But they said one thing to me. They, they were like, um, I was trying to get off the phone. I'm like, yo, yo, I'm at work. Call me back because I can't talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. And they literally say, yo, my name, my full name is Livingston Allen. They're like, Mr. Allen, you don't have a job. <laughs> they just call me my bullshit. They're like, I'm like, oh, what the hell? They're stalking me? So anyway, at that point, like, I'm lost. I'm DJing sporadically. I'm still kind of hanging around the college scene. I'm getting a little bit too old now because after, like, 21, it becomes a little weird. And what really happens is I'm, I'm forced to get a job. I'm forced to get a job. Like, I, I don't know how to pay for anything. I get evicted from... Where I was at, luckily I got a girlfriend, slew to her, I moved in with her, and then I got a regular job at Verizon Wireless. And I started working a full-time job while I'm still trying to grind this internet thing out. And it was probably the biggest grind I ever did. I mean, I used to sleep a few hours a night. I woke up 4 a.m. every morning, made videos till 7, went to work at 7, got off at 5, got back probably like 6, 6.30, and I would do videos from 6, 6.30 to like 9, spend like an hour with my girl, um, eat, do some regular shit, go to sleep for like three hours and repeat the cycle every day. And on my lunchtime at work, I used to record in the back of my Mazda. Like that was my car. So, and I, I mean, I still, I'm like super sentimental. I still have that car to this day. But like I did that for like three, four years. And wow. I remember... I was scared to quit my job because, like, my mom is Jamaican, as I'm Jamaican, and, like, she's old school. And for me to quit my job and just do some internet shit was, like, the scariest thing. So I'm not trying to quit, but, like, people would come by my cubicle and be like, yo, wait, are you academics? And I'm like, um, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, don't, like, what are, you, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I just don't know if I quit that the money will last. I don't know what will happen. And I had to take a leap of faith, and I did. And when I did, I really rammed shit up, and I went hard, and, you know, kind of worked out. 
Um, let's get back to the, the war in Chirac. What, what drew, drew you into the drill scene in the first place? Was there like a specific moment that you wanted to cover? You know, do you kind of remember how that all started? I do remember how it started. And I remember why it started. So I was treating my like outlet like a, like a newspaper, right? So like, okay, for like mainstream stuff, I'm covering the Drakes, the Kanye's, I'm covering the Jay-Z's. But I'm also like, like I was noticing on the internet, like yo, a lot of these dudes that are just popping on the internet, like the younger fans are really fucking with them. So I'm treating everything, I'm treating my whole outlet like the newspaper. So I like Chief Keef. His music was just the realest shit I've ever heard, <laughs> okay? I, like, I mean, I wasn't into hip hop when Pac was alive doing everything he was doing, and that's my favorite artist still, but when it came to like Chief Keef, I was like, these niggas is rapping about real life. It's happening 20 minutes later. And then like they go rap about it again. And then they send two tweets out. Then we see that it was the realest shit I've ever seen. So I'm so I fuck with um the whole Chief Keef GBE and Lil Dirk. And I started doing videos on them and fans, they used to be like, yo, how are you gonna cover this story, but you don't cover the story about what happened last week with him and Lil J. And at first I'm like, who the fuck is Lil J? And who cares? I'm like, I'm searching up his songs. Who's Lil J? I'm like, this is not something that I should even cover because they're not hot. But I started seeing that so much and it was people saying, hey, there's other people that are involved in a lot of the drama and a lot of, it's like a whole ecosystem separate from just mainstream rap. Start covering it. So I made a whole new page and I said, fine, let's see how much y'all really, really want it. Because, you know, sometimes like as an audience and fans, y'all will say some shit, but y'all really want it. And I created the page. I got really invested into it. I reported on everything and they just cared about every fucking thing. Like it was just the most fascinating thing for me. I think, you know, a lot of people remember me kind of just being like really shocked. Like, I'm in New Jersey. They thought I was in Chicago, like, looking out my window. No, I'm in the safe and comfort of my bedroom in New Jersey. And I'm looking at this shit like, yo, this can't even be real life. Like, I would cover someone and, you know, like, on a real serious, like, no joking, man, they would die later. And I'm like, like, it felt like it was surreal. And also, I was looking at everybody in hip-hop like, does no one see this is a problem? No one was really paying attention to it. So... I took a liking to the music. Because I, I took a liking to the music, I started getting invested into the culture and I covered it. And you know, a lot of people probably characterize like me covering it because I was doing it through satire because people were looking at me like, yo, imagine loving the music and the music is saying, fuck my ops, we gonna kill you tomorrow, then after we kill you, we gonna piss on your grave. Like it was the most demonic shit, right? And for me, I'm like, you sound like the lame school teacher, like, killing his bad kids. Like, so you, could, you can't address it like that. So I'm like, how do I make the, my audience, because I knew I had an audience, how do I make them kind of realize that this shit is so stupid that you wouldn't want to do it yourself? So I did it with satire. And so, so just to jump in there, I mean, I think that was when I first heard of you was around that time, Warren Chirac stuff. And your videos were these like really, these recaps that were kind of collating a lot of data or like information from different sources and kind of creating a narrative. And in, through that, you know, you're making like a lot of jokes, you're saying like, you know, 
you're you're making jokes and like people like lost their lives and I think that a lot of you got a lot of criticism from people in Chicago at that time about that and how did how did you respond to that like how did you feel about like you know what even even still about my time doing that right I think what what's mischaracterized is that I joked about people dying most of my jokes were aimed at the people killing because like I remember talking to people there and they were telling me how scared they were and I was like the people who were who were being celebrated online are the killers. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So so it was like, yo, how do you make it seem like, yo, the people who are doing these things? Because like, you ask any fan of Chief Keef, like, one of the things that brings him to the music is that they feel like everything he says in his music, or they feel he's killed people or whatever. Right? I was looking at as like yo, on a moral standard, that's not cool. Like why would you glorify that? But you can't, again, you don't want to be the school teacher saying, this is bad, because they're going to be like, shut your pussy ass up. We love this shit. We love that drill shit. We love the killing. Everybody loves it until it's in your backyard, and that's what hip-hop is. Hip-hop is like the safari. You feel me? I'm in New Jersey watching this shit. The people there who was really talking to me, and people always say, how you know so much? There were real people there who never came outside, who had no social life. They were really feeding me the information and say, this is why we're scared to go outside. You know, so for everybody, like, they were hyping it up and it's all cool. And, and I'm not talking about outside that culture because the people outside that culture that got critical later, they never cared while it was going on. The people who were fueling Chief Keef's career, the fans, all those people, they were like, good. Like, this shit's dope. So I was just trying to show the other light I think that got mischaracterized like I was clowning people who were dying, which I would never do. If, if I started out satire to show that the niggas who you're saying is the ultimate savage, yo, this dude posts up a rocket launcher just chilling like, yo, I'm pulling up tomorrow. And like, people are like, yo, this guy's the best ever. I'm like, this guy might be killing somebody. If you were living there, it could be one of your sisters, your brothers, like your mom and dad is like, this not cool. And satire was the only way for me to do it. I remember, like, you know, even uh, a mentor of mine at the time, Charlemagne, would tell me, he said, when you're delivering a message, even if you got a good, like, you have a, like your agenda is good, your heart's clean, like, you have, you're trying to do something positive, you got you, you to gotta give the, me- you got to put the message in the candy. You know? Like, you have to basically, has to have an attractive packaging for people to fuck with it, or else they're going to be like, oh, he's lame, let's just tune out. So, um, you uh, yeah, you speak about Charlemagne as like a, a mentor. Can you explain sort of how your relationship started with him and, and kind of what he means to you in your career a little bit? Yeah. Oh, great, great question. So, at a point after I'm doing these little things, right? Like I told you, I was doing reviews, whatever. I basically then say to myself, I want to get more out there. I want to do interviews and stuff like that. And before I quit, because I did quit, I chased around a chick on Love and Hip Hop. Like, all she did was fucking throw drinks. But she rescheduled with me seven times. I called out of my job seven fucking times. And, I, and that's the moment I said, fuck interviews. I'm not going to lie. I said, I literally showed up. I'm like, and then I got an email. It was like, oh, yeah, we have to reschedule. I'm like, this fucking chick on Love and Hip Hop really is playing with me. <laughs> but beyond that, one of the easiest people to really get, in a, get an interview with, and I thought it was going to be easy with Charlemagne. And I still give him credit to his day because he was real enough. 
like when I was trying to approach industry people who already had their shit made, he followed me on Twitter because like I would always engage in hip hop discussions. I'd react to the clips that he would post for the Breakfast Club or like I would challenge him. And you know, I think he respects that in terms of I'm gonna like he followed me to say, you know what, even though we often disagreed, he knew I was passionate, I was bringing valuable insight. I hit him one day, I said, yo, I'm trying to be out there a little bit more because I get an interview. And it was like, cool, just come on. And I, that's why I quit the other thing, because I thought that, that would be everybody. Everybody had 20 publicists, 15 assistants, like, and a goddamn like email person that didn't respond. But I go there and I interview with um, Charlemagne. Even more important, which I left out of the story, when I got kicked off of college radio, there was a girl that was my co-host. It was my third year or second year doing radio. It was our first semester. When we, we got kicked off as a group because it was our show. They couldn't kick me off and be like, keep her. I, I told them to do it because I was like, yeah, I'm building my show. I'm like, keep her. Anyway, I didn't see her after that. She hated me. Fucking. Fu this is how small the world is no matter how big it is. Fucking hated me. So Charlemagne invites me up to the breakfast club. You know who's the person who's the fucking intern there? <laughs> you know. You know who the fucking intern It's the person who I was doing a show with. I had no idea she fucking hated me. So we went upstairs. She brings me up and I'm like, what? She's like, she's not even talking to me. I'm like, she's like really odd. When we get up top, and I always respect Charlemagne for this because he instantly broke the ice. The way he's on, on camera and TV or however you hear him, that's how he's in real life. He literally tells me, he says, you know this chick hates your fucking guts, right? And she told me, do not give you an interview. And, you know, they talked about it the next day on the radio, and Envy and Angeli said they would have not given me the interview. And Charlemagne went against all of them to say, you know what, whatever y'all have, I know you're an intern for my show, yeah, like, me and him have a relationship, I'm going to give him that opportunity. Because he could have just said no. And I was just like, fuck it, right? And... He brought it up on the spot. I, I didn't know that girl felt any way about me. We talked about it. But I respected the fact that instead of doing the fake shit to act like we're all cool, he brought it up. Anyway, we do the interview. I get his number. And I say one thing to him. I say, I'll never ask you for an opportunity. Because I know, I know what this is. I'll never ask you for an opportunity, a favor. I don't want you to hook me up with a show, hook me up with an opportunity. I said, just be my mentor. Like, if I call you and I ask you, hey, is this a good move? If I'm doing some bullshit, just let me know. And I knew that's the only way he'll keep his phone line open. Because trust me, if you get my number now, anybody in here, the first time you call me asking for a favorite, the second time you're blocked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, it doesn't work like that. Like, you have to have a relationship with people. And so I really value that. And I just want him to give me advice. I still never ask him for a favor ever in life. And um, from there on, you know, he kind of helped mentor me and kind of prepare me for now, like, in terms of, hey, this is what you're going to run into. He would call me after a lot of his interviews rather than debate on Twitter. I'd be like, no, nah, I think you did that wrong. And it helped me kind of like get to this point and I always give him credit for that. So you talked about wanting to be more, you know, in front of the camera. Um, tell us where you were when you got the call for Everyday Struggle. So I'm chilling. <laughs> chilling, okay? At this point, I'm successful as a motherfucker. Okay, I remember going in, like walking into the mall, my local mall, and I'm like, God damn it, man, I'm making mad money. Now, that time YouTube was cutting the check. I was getting 
disgusted about. <laughs> and I remember saying, like, like it's that thing, like, I know a lot of y'all probably had that conversation with your friends, like, oh, yeah, no, I want to get, like, I just want to get the money. I don't want the fame. You want the fame a little bit. Like, God, you, want the, you want the fame a little bit. Nobody just wants to be the rich mom. Listen, the rich people in real life who work whatever job, they want to get famous. They want to be next to the athletes. It's just the ego, the fucking, it's human nature. So I remember just walking, I'm like, God damn, not a motherfucker knows me in this bitch. <laughs> so I already had plans. I was kind of like mentally getting there to say, you have to show your face at some point. You got to be on camera. And Charlemagne was helping me prepare for that because he was saying, when you show your face, you say a lot of shit like me, they're going to try to kill you. <laughs> and I'm like, try to kill me, be famous. Try to kill me. <laughs> I did that. So, um, Complex hits me up. Like, yo, you should come through. Now, at that point, I was well aware. I was kicking Complex ass. It was just me. Like, I'm just kicking in my room. I'm killing them. They're putting out 12 videos a day, minimum. 12 to 15, I'm putting out three to four, and I would have like half a million more views over them daily. But I looked at it and I'm like, hmm, I could just tell them to suck a dick. But I'm like, this could be probably the thing. I saw Joe's name on it. It was like, oh yeah, Joe Budden is gonna be it. I'm like, by the way, I meet so many people who I've done mad, crazy videos talking crazy about. I think I called him, I don't think I called him a woman beater, but I think I was violate him on my last video. I'm like, yeah, this bum ass nigga, Joe Button, whack. This nigga is, why he beefing with Drake? Oh my, this, this, so I was violating him, but I'm like, okay. This could be something. Let's go listen. And I went to listen, just trying to hear their moves to tell him no. And you know, me and Joe, Joe was looking at me like I was disgusted when I walked in. <laughs> and um, remember I, I walked in and like, they were trying to hype me up like, because he was looking like, yo, this is how he looks? This is it? No one saw me. No one ever saw me. Like, I, I was only like a little, it's like, imagine your little avatar picture on Instagram at that point. There was three of them available to me. So he's like, this, this is a guy who you claim is like so influential because he doesn't pay attention. And I'm listening to them trying like, oh, he has like two million followers on this. He has this. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, <laughs> so already I'm getting the vibes. But I'm like, you know what? Let's see. Um, we do a test little thing. So we go in a room and we do like this little test thing. And five minutes in, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of Joe, but I'm like, yo, like, I'm trying to be professional. I've never like, I'm like, this is like a first job. I'm trying to be professional. He's mad root. Like five minutes in, cut! We're done. I'm like, that's what we're going for 15. We're done. He's like, this is the guy. And I'm like, okay. And after that, like we started having contract discussions and stuff like that. And then I had to have that moment of, do I really want to do this? And where's it going to go? And quickly, I kind of figured out I wanted to compete and be among, this is legacy talk, because already I'm making, making too much money. And what they were offering me, I was like, what the fuck do they think? They must think I'm like one of the bum niggas that work there. So, so I'm looking at it, I'm like, yo, so it's not for the money, but I'm like, I, I always want to be in the conversation with the Charlemagnes, the stars, and you know, even though she's a woman, like, I look at Wendy as the goat, like that gossip, 
talk show, hip-hop, all that entertainment shit. Like, it's just one fucking big bubble. And I looked at myself at that point like, yo, how do you get in that shit to, that people take you serious? Because right now you're the YouTube nigga. And I'm like, ain't no radio stations calling. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, all right, let me, let me see. So when you were saying uh, that you were thinking, you were considering turning them down, like, outside of the money, was there any other reason that you would turn them down? Oh, I thought they were the ops. If, if y'all don't know what that means. If y'all don't know what it means. <laughs> I thought they were like, they were losing. When, even when I went there, it was 60 people losing to a nigga at home. It's a company with sick. They got all type of computers, like 20 hard drives. I'm like, God damn it. Green screens on green screens. Like the cameras look like the shit. Like it was filming the fucking Avengers. I'm like, oh my God. Like, yo, y'all got the whole shindig here. Like, how the fuck y'all lose to a nigga with like a 120 on mic? But really, like, they were also going through a transition as well. So I was really, like, I went in there very skeptical. Like, they're probably trying to steal the salt. And they were asking me questions like, so, how many people on your staff? How, how do you get the views you get? And I'm like, oh, these motherfuckers trying to size me up. <laughs> so, that's what I was going to turn them down. I, I, I was thinking, like, yo, they're only trying to steal from me. You know what? They're not trying to just partner with me to help me. They're trying to steal from me to, like, eliminate the competition. So, uh, how was your working relationship with Joe actually on set? I mean, obviously, we saw you know, the kind of contrast and kind of explosive arguments you'd have. And then kind of post-Everyday uh, Struggle, how, what's your relationship like? You know what's so funny? The People remember so much about the time I worked with Joe. But I worked with Joe for nine months. Not a year, nine months. It's time to, take, to have a baby. And I haven't worked with him in about a year and a half or two or something like that. But... It was really explosive. So the first, the first two, two to three months. So after, so back to the story again. So he cut the, he cut this, like the, we were doing this little trial thing. And he said, "Yo, cut. This is the guy." So I'm thinking whatever, and, and we had some conversations off camera. He's like, "Yo, act. We're gonna fucking kill it." And I'm like, "This guy believes in me." Yo, the first motherfucking day, he just switched. <laughs> I thought we were gonna be cool. <laughs> Like, he was attacking me. I was like, what the fuck? He was just like, he was, he was getting at me like I was a guy. He was beefing with a rap. And I remember, like, I couldn't really get my points out because he was shouting, screaming. I'm looking, like, the moderator cutting him off. Like, I start my point. He just cuts me off. And I'm like, yo, this is a set. The first three months was a nightmare. <laughs> it was the worst. Like, for some people who, you know, like, the, 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 the very core and essence of everyday struggle is that hip-hop is at a very it's at like a precipice right now where the new generation has certain ideals they like certain things and then the old generations are stuck in their way and to see the two mix there's rarely someone who understands both usually people are polar opposites so to see two people that represent two different ideals it's 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 gonna it's like mixing water and oil and I was watching, like, like, people were like, oh, this is great. But it was like people were, they saw my platform rise all over these years without anyone challenging me. They never heard me talk to no one. So they were like, yo, yo, son, that bitch, nigga, academics. I'm like, oh, my. Yo, it was the worst thing in the world for the first three months. 
for the first three months, I was on Twitch every night with a bottle of Henny, like, fuck this. Like, yo. Like, and I remember, like, I was thinking, like, yo, I'm making more a month, and they're going to pay me a year. I'm like, what the fuck? What am I doing? But then, like, I was starting to see the conversation. Like, I'm, I'm cool with hate. I'm, I'm, I don't mind hate. So I started seeing people react to me that I would never, like, I had a younger demographic, and the OGs started to react. Even though they were like, fuck this nigga, man. This nigga's a bitch. We want to kill him. I'm like, all right, at least they care now. So really, like, I, I went through it in, in terms of should I quit or should I stick it out? And I realized, for better or for worse, I've always accepted the people that don't like me, just like the people that do, and I stuck it out. Well, I have to ask about the Migo situation on the BT red carpet. And just... You know, for those who, I'm sure everybody here has seen that, but... I became a meme, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yo, you know what got real? I went, I went, I can't remember where I went. And I thought, and like this chick that was super attractive, I'm like, oh shit. I'm, and then she, like, I could tell she, she knew me because she was like looking at me and looking at her phone. I'm like, oh shit. Oh. <laughs> I'm bagging, bro. I'm bagging. And then she came up to me and be like, yo, you're a meme. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Most confusing feeling ever because, like, like you don't know me for anything else but that. But now, now that was an interesting time. Um, salute to Complex. I love them. You know, we still do business. But there were a company that was a print company. They used to do magazines and stuff, and they went to video. Hired two of the most hated people by whoever and had zero idea how to run, like, they were learning on the fly how to run a video company. They didn't really even know how to treat talent. Like, yo, when you bring talent, green room, this and third, you certain type of preps, you should probably do some homework. Like, this is this could get crazy. They come up with a bright idea. Yo, we should get some more guests on. Like, this is I'm imagining this. We should get some more guests on. Um, BT Awards coming up. Let's just send Joe and Ack out there, like <laughs> test dummies. Let's bring the camera on some Diddy shit. Like some Diddy making a band. If they die, we got the footage. You feel me? Like, let's bring the, bring the cameras and after we, get, like, just, just see what happens. So, first of all, that was the same week we get there. It's me and Joe, the only males in the crew. Everybody else were women. So, we had like six or seven people behind the camera that were women. So, me and Joe, the only dudes. Second day, Vic Mensa happens. Vic Mensa walks in. I swear, I'm going to stick to the story till forever. He walked in. He dabbed me up. Said, what up, Ack? I'm like, I fought for him to get on the show because I love Chicago. I'm like, yo, yo, I did it on the show. Dabbed him up. He said, where the bathroom, man? I pointed him to the bathroom. This nigga came back. He had to do coke. That's my, that's my story. Came back with his eyes wide fucking open. Didn't blink for like two hours. And after that, that happened where like, he was like, yo, act you a bitch. And like the whole shit, like it was kind of friction until it ended. They, they blamed me. They said, act. Why didn't you tell us you have beef in the streets? <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? How do you hire me and not know I have beef? So they got mad at me because the rapper was trying to fuck me up. I'm like, fine. So, so everybody is killing me like, yeah, you be talking too crazy. I'm like, that's why y'all hired me. I talk crazy online. Hold on, hold on, hold on. When, when the moment happened, though, like, were you, did you feel threatened? Did you feel like something would actually pop off? No. And, and you know, but, but the internet doesn't care about that. For me, like, just, again, treat this as your first official job. 
I'm still thinking, let's try to be professional. So I'm like, whatever happens, let's keep the conversation going. I've learned from the internet, if somebody says that, just punch them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fuck if you get fired. Just, like, just, just throw your, your salary out of the window. Just don't look like a hoe online. <laughs> so the next nigga who says that, I'm slapping the fuck out of him. Okay? And I'm this look is at out com- there now. Somebody might pull your card on this oh, one. They got to. I'm going to look at Complex and said, I'm sorry. Like, you had me looking crazy before. Now I got to redeem myself. Anyway, so that happens. So, so you know what the remedy for that was? It said, oh, wait. Joe has beef too? Let's get security for them. And we're like, we told y'all we needed security before we got here. They're like, okay, we're going to run me the situation now. They go to the local corner store. They grab the fattest nigga around. Nigga with a ketchup stain. I'm serious. Nigga with a ketchup stain on his shirt. Your academics security. Now, Joe is talking. He was like, yo, listen, man. I can't do a show if y'all get my co-host killed. So, But Joe got beef too, right? So they tell the security, who is not even security at all. They said, only protect academics. Joe is good in these streets. And Joe kept saying, if anything happened, I got 200 crip niggas I could bring out here. I know crooked. I'm like, okay, give me the skirt. <laughs> Be to your wars of the day. Joe, we were all in this like, low-key hotel. Joe says he's going to the store. He's going to like Macy's or like some little store in the mall to get socks. Because he wanted to like dress however. <laughs> now, Joe been talking crazy about some niggas. He runs into P from QC. That's the guy who owns QC. And like five goons. So they run up on him while he's picking out socks. Like, I want to go with this or this. <laughs> like, yo, yo, we don't like how you talk about Yachty. Because he had like a habit of every time he tried to be like, yo, act you like whack rappers, he would just throw Yachty's name. It was the most memorable name. But like for them, they're looking at it like, no, they're not thinking like that's, he's just trying to say I like whack rappers. They're looking at him like, you're calling our guy whack every single time. You're saying he's a prototypical example of a whack rapper. So they basically check him and say, yo, if you keep this in Yachty, we're going to have to do something about it. And basically they came to an agreement where Joe was basically saying, like, when I'm mentioning him, I don't really give a fuck about Yachty. I'm just trying to tell Aki likes whack rappers. And that's not my cup of tea. But Yachty's the only name that comes to mind. They're like, don't. So... That happens then. Joe doesn't really tell anyone. We go to the award show. Big sign that that's just like already fucked up. Complex fucked up with the security. The security is taking more selfies than everybody. <laughs> oh my God, I'm here. Red carpet shit. We here like it's lit. And we looking at the security. Like, what the fuck? Like, are you securing shit? Or are you like securing like some followers? <laughs> if you watch the clip again, the security is on the other side. He... The security is the last nigga to react. Think about it. What type of security is that? So he goes there. We're interviewing people. We're interviewing people. Now, in my mind, and this is where me and Joe, like, I guess, are opposed. Drea, I don't know if y'all know who Drea is. She's a fucking basketball wife. She came up, and Joe was fucking, like, flirting with her for 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, like, ain't we a rap show? Does she rap? This is just some... I'm, but I'm, I understand Joe didn't love him... I'm like, why can't we talk to the rappers? So we finally get a rapper, Domingos. I'm like, yes. I fuck with them. They come up, they dap me up, they give me a desk a hug, they look at Joe, and Joe sticks his hand out 
and they all look him up and down like he's a fucking alien. So the tension's already, it's weird. We're talking, I'm super into the interview. I'm so green. Like, I'm like, oh my God, how'd I feel like it left off batter bullshit? Like, (laughs) here's the thing about the whole thing, because I kind of look stupid. When we record normally in New York, we have an earpiece. So like, even though it's quiet there anywhere when we record on set, at the BT Awards, it's like a fucking cafeteria. You can't hear, if, if someone's there talking, you can't hear. So, like, the reason why I'm saying I can't hear, like, you hear it clearly out of the mic. So if, if you guys have the, the mic shit recorded, cool. But if the person's there just only hearing my voice, they can't. So I really couldn't hear it. And, and he's like, they would do this weird thing where I'd be like, yo, yo, Quavo, man, yo, you got this single pop, blah, blah. What are you about to do next? He'd be like, I'm a, what the <laughs> fuck? Nigga, we can't even hear you already. So like they would act like they're about to shout. So that's where that moment comes from. But our producer, we only had a certain time with everyone. The producer is giving the wrap-up sign. And Joe is looking like, these niggas already not giving me no type of energy that I like. Ak is over here fanning out, which me, I'm like, Yo, this is the hottest group. I got to get my questions in. I love getting my questions in. Joe fucking walks off, and they look at him like, this motherfucker is disrespecting us. He steps up, or, or they all stand up in like an order, and then a bunch of goons run over, and then this is the part that everybody still calls me pussy. Yo, I'd never win online. I could never win. I was bigging them up the whole time. They're cool with me. I'm really trying to get in the middle of them and Joe, because Joe is pressed against the wall. But everybody's like, you, you push the chick out of the way. But anyway, that happened. No one fought. There's police right there anyway. And the night we went back to the hotel, we had a like 15-minute group discussion because I was like, delete it. Like, do not put this out. Delete it. I look stupid asking the questions when I couldn't hear them in real life. And Joe was about to get his ass beat. You get me? Oh, and when the interview just started, Pete interrupted it and like on an aggressive way was like, yo, remember what we talked about in the mall, right? Like he said to Joe. And I was like, okay, so these guys are giving off like some intimidating energy that's what happened. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was an odyssey. I mean, um, so, yeah, I mean, do you, do you ever talk to Joe these days? Do you still have any kind of relationship with him? You know, not to dwell on it too much. But. No, no, of course. No, Joe, is, Joe is a great guy, you know, outside of this. He's a thinker. He's, he's so obsessed. Like, we used to talk more after the show, like, once we, like, dipped and went home. And we talk there because, like, he's such a thinker. He's a conspiracy theorist. Like, not only, like, on, like, his podcast or whatever. Like, he would think, like, wait. He'll hit you up and be like, wait, I think Complex is trying to do this because of this and then this because of that. And, like, he'll just come up with some shit. You're like, bro, the mere fact that you thought about it like that, like, you might be right. <laughs> like, he's one of those type of people. Like, he was just overthink. Um, to this day, like, you know, like, we still talk. My thing with him is that, like, I think we got to reunite on a major way. You know, not, not just, you know, like he invited me to do a couple of things before. We didn't, we didn't do it because, like, I want when me and him are sitting across from each other, sitting next to each other, it's huge. And I think for everybody who enjoyed the time we had together, it deserves to be that. Not just kind of like, okay, this is a reunion show. You know what I mean? Like, fuck that. You know what I mean? It's like, I love everything he's doing. He inspired me. I would hope some of the stuff I do inspire him. 
And um, I salute him across the aisle, even though we're not doing a show, show together right now. But I'm always open to, you know, at some point us linking back up. This has to be the right thing. So uh, what was the first time you heard about Takashi 6 9 Oh, this is a 6 9 portion, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so Bobby Schmurr and them got locked up in 2014. In 2017, around the summer, I want to believe the summer of 2017, I hear Gummo. And if, like, in New York, it's a specific feeling, a type of aura that Bobby Schmurr's music created. It was dangerous, but real. It was just energetic, but it was new New York. Remember, I came from criticizing New York. Like, these are a bunch of old niggas who think the next popping dude out of New York going to rap like Nas. That shit is over. You know, like, y'all got to get with the new waves. Kids coming up, they want to have fun. Some want to dance. Like, that, let them rock. So I really love Bobby Schmurr's wave. But also, it was authentic because there was some real shit behind it. You know, clearly and unfortunately, he went to jail. So I hear Gummo. Bobby's already locked up. And I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't think I was going to hear this for a while. I thought New York got killed with them going to jail, to be honest. You know, designer came, and I was like, oh, okay. But I thought New York got killed. Then I hear this, and I'm like, oh, shit. This feels street. This feels real. It feels crazy. And then I see the video. I'm like, oh, shit. So anyway, I go to ComplexCon that day. And I'm, I'm going to tell the story a little bit hazy, but this is really how it happens. I get hit up by a nigga on Instagram with literally like, it's like three letters in their name. Like some Illuminati shit. I still think I'm like some Illuminati shit. They, they hit me up. And it was because I was playing it on my story. I was like, I kept saying, yo, this is the hardest shit in New York. And they hit me up and it was like, we should meet. And I was like, okay, Lawrence Fishburne, like what the fuck type of matrix? Get the fuck, I, get the fuck. And to keep it real, like their Instagram page was mad weird. It just had like animals on it, like no real, I kid you not. I know y'all probably like, yo, this nigga cabin, fat, I'm telling you. So I, I get hit up, I'm like, what the fuck is this? So anyway, I answered back because I'm like, how you verified? I don't think I was verified yet. I was like, how you verify? Like, how did all these things happen? I'm like, fuck it. They're like, we should meet. I was trying to post them a couple of times. Instagram always deleted. People just hated the motherfucker. Anyway, I go to Long Beach. And there was ComplexCon. I was the first ComplexCon. The same page hits me up again. You're in town. <laughs> For real. They were like, you should pull up. We should talk. Like, seriously, I kid you not. They sent me an address. I was like, oh, okay, cool, okay, cool. You know, I, I want to talk about, I was wondering why this song was so hot, but this artist wasn't moving and people hated him so much. They invited me to something, and I remember I went with my brothers, my brother and like my whole team at that time, because I was like rapper ready, so I flew out like, I, Complex already failed, failed me in June with like almost getting, getting me jumped by rappers in their entourage, so I flew out like 10 niggas, okay? I learned, yo, I got to move like rappers, because if they got 10 niggas, I got 10 niggas, Okay? <laughs> So I'm out there, they invite me to this thing, and we all go out there. It was like this club. And I still swear to this day, yo, Marv, you remember what club? I, I now find out that club was, it was Delilah, I think, in LA. Like, I think Drake rapped about it once, so he might be Illuminati too. I don't know. Anyway, that's apparently where I went to. I pulled up in some suburban, I got hoodies on, everybody, we had the same logos on, we mobbing, chat nigga shit. So... We go up in there, everybody got on suits. It's like the music's different, the aura's different, 
Like the girls are like way off beat. They're dancing. I'm like, yo, what the fuck going on? The vibe is weird. I see, and I won't even name some of the people I see. Everybody who claimed, like industry-wise, who claimed they hated each other was in there. Everybody. Everybody who's important was in there. Everybody who you see make power moves was in there. It was like you just walked into the Power 30 Summit. It was like, what the f- You? You? I was so shocked. So I'm sitting there, and this dude pulls out a black card. He's like, oh, I'll buy the drinks for everybody. I'm like, oh, shit, there's some money, money shit in here. Anyway, the only question I really wanted to ask him was, why is this artist not getting the push? And throughout the conversation, because they were telling me about some other artists they got, I'm like, cute, but this song's really hot. And I basically said that, yo, you got to, I got to, don't, don't drop the ball on this kid. I don't know who the fuck he is, but, like, it's good. And... They were agreeing with me with a bunch of stuff. They said, oh, up here, born, no one to clear the beat. I said, I don't give a fuck. Y'all got to get this clear. Anyway, that, that conversation ends. I only have their number. I leave. I'm still weirded out because I'm like, how's some Illuminati shit, man? You know what's so in there? I'm going to give one name. Which is so funny because I've seen him call out 10 people from that same place who he was at. i seen Ebro up in that bitch. Like, just like chilling. Like, randomly, not even, like, it was just, it was mad weird to me. It's still mad weird to me. But again, I'm not industry, so. Anyway, after that, I go, I get back to Jersey. I live in Jersey. And I have a conversation with them again, just on the phone. They're were, they were sounding regular this time, not some Illuminati. Who, who like, are these people? Are they like label people? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like label people slash the Illuminati. I'm going to just say that. So I had a conversation with them, and, and, and I was like, truth be told, yo, they were asking me for advice. Because they were like, yo, I feel like you know culture for the new wave of artists so they asked me for advice they said what do you think this kid needs to like really get a shot we can't really do much with him no one wants to talk to him they all think he's a rapist a pedophile this and third what do you think i said y'all gotta find somebody to interview him let him explain his side for better for worse like people are not giving him a chance because half of them don't even care about the story they just hear like the headline Give them a chance that something, someone with a platform, something the Breakfast Club, how nice them, something like that, that you can explain inside. They tell me, we've tried. No one will do it. Would you do it? And I'm like, what? Me? I don't want to do that shit. Anyway, in my thinking, I was like, you know what? I've always been the black sheep where I, I felt like people didn't give me an opportunity. Fuck it. Like, niggas don't like me already. I'll interview the kid. I interviewed him and I met him for the first time. The first thing he says to me is like, yo, bro. I used to live and die on your Warren Chirac series. And, and honestly, that's where he got a lot of his trolling from. But I did the interview with him. And after the interview, and this is really why we became friends. We did the interview three times because we go in there. It was me and like me, my two people and him and like a bunch of niggas. And we did the interview three times because every time, the first time he was super honest. And then a nigga came over with a bunch of red rags and said, yo, do that shit again. This time, let's tone it down. Let's get this out. He's apologizing. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so we did it two more times. And the reason why we became friends is that when talking back to his label or whoever it was that was in charge of him, I told him, I said, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, whoever's his management or the blood niggas around him, they want to go with like the really like PC version of the interview. But like that first version we did where he was being honest is the best chance of people actually believing that he's genuine. And the blood dudes disagreed. His label agreed with me, but they're scared of them too. <laughs> and 6ix9ine somehow got my number and he reached out to me and said, so, Ak, I grew up watching you. What do you really think? 
I said, I don't want to get, get in between you and your manager or whoever the hell was there, but it's the first one you should go with. He said, let's go with it. And ever since then, you know, like, I felt like it, it didn't, you can't fix allegations like that, but it gave people a chance to think. Um, ever since then, like, he started reaching out because he had my number now, like, yo, just come through. Yo, I appreciate you, this and third. And we kind of just built a friendship after that. Did you, did you feel, like, any qualms about giving him that platform, considering what he was being accused of? Nah. I'll be fine. This is why I'm not a journalist. Listen, man, I ain't going to lie to you, man. I, I, well, I won't say anybody I'll interview. Because I couldn't see myself interviewing, like, a Hitler-type nigga. But, like, I would interview El Chapo. I don't give two fucks, bro. Like, listen, man, giving someone a platform, I don't think that's the end of the world. I've always said the people who hate me, nigga, make your own platform, and you could make your own platform and said, fuck academics all day. Somebody just sent it to me like, yo, my bad, like, they were on some interview and some other dude was saying, fuck. I'm like, you could have counters to whatever the narrative is. Like, it's cool. But, like, to say that I shouldn't give somebody a platform, I'm like, I'm not with that. You know? I've been the person that people thought they shouldn't give an opportunity to. And, and it's not an, oppor- it's an opportunity to explain. You don't have to come across or leave that interview with saying that's the truth, you could be like, oh, this guy's really a liar, or this guy really did this. But I don't believe in don't give somebody a platform. Like, it would have to be really extreme. Like, nigga, I would, de- I would definitely, well, I don't about to go into jail, but I would definitely interview Tay K. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, who are the worst people on earth? Like, I would interview them. So, and how did your relationship with Takashi evolve? Did you, did you see, I mean, his situation now, did you foresee any of this coming? Um, did you at any point try to talk to him about it? Like, what happened with that? You know, it's funny. So I talked to him. And yes, I'm cool with him. Like, you ain't got to ask me that. But um, I talked to him, like, probably like a month ago. And, and that's one of the first things he said. He said, yo, don't blame yourself. Because, I don't know, they got some real good Wi-Fi in jail. Like, he sees everything. I don't know what it is. But, um, like, the decisions he made, he made on his own. You know, like, the circumstances and the situations, and he got there on his own. And... The first time I hung out with him is when I told him. The, he pulled up to Complex one day by himself. No gang niggas. It's the first time I seen him without, like, 20 bloods. I was like, oh, shit. He was trying to prove a point to me, though. He was trying to prove a point that he wasn't pussy. And most of the shit he did was trying to prove a point to somebody. He went to Chicago because he was trying to prove a point. He was dissing people all over because he was trying to prove a point. But he was that kid. <clears throat> so... He shows up to Complex by himself. I bring him through the office. I'm like, hey, yo, this is the guy, this is the kid, Takashi 69. His song, Gummo, started to take off now. Like, anybody want to do anything? And everybody in Complex looked at him with a face of disgust, like, like, nobody fucked with him. And really, honestly, what it was is, don't listen to any of these media niggas to act like they have integrity. None of them have integrity when you're hot enough. Because all them niggas at Complex... They told me after I left the building with him, the next day, <clears throat> he said, whatever you do, never bring that motherfucker back up in here. We were disgusted. I was introducing him like, hey, do y'all want to do something with him? Three months later when he's the hottest, they all like, yo, could you bring him back? There's no fucking integrity in this shit. This is just like, this is the media, this hip-hop shit is a money grab. Don't, don't let nobody think that... They'll fool you to act like they're sitting on some moral high ground, but it's when it's not close enough or lucrative to them. Always remember that. But after we left the building, we walked around Times Square. It's the busiest place in the fucking world. 
And he was just trying to say, I could be outside and nobody could touch me. I see a couple gang dudes walked up to him. He's throwing up all type of hieroglyphic signs. I'm like, okay, do your thing. Okay, cool. But after a while, you know, like some random chick picked us up and we went to Brooklyn. And that's when I met his real friends, his friends before the fame. And I was, and I, and I saw a different side of him and I was like, bro, you're not like this tough gangbanger, super blood that you're portraying in this video. You're Danny. Like, these niggas got inside jokes with you. Like, like, you're just a kid who just, an internet nigga who just laughs at everything. Like, you're not this super gang dude. And, and basically he was like, yo, it, it helps me right now. And, like, he didn't say, like, he wasn't in it for whatever, but basically he was just saying, yeah, you're right. And I told him, I said, you know, at some point you got to leave those guys, got to leave them alone, or you're going to get locked up or killed. And at that point, he told me, like, in, in, in more words than I'm going to say, but he, he basically said, it's worth it because it's working. You know, like, he was willing... He was willing to risk his life because it was working. So, you know, like I, I warned him then, I warned him every other time, but again, you know, he always said, and he said even publicly, like when he was broken, nobody gave a fuck about him. He said nobody had advice for him. So he was willing to take the risk. So, you know, like he's never with someone who wanted people to feel bad for him. But um, of course, I warned him, everybody warned him. All right, we're going to do a few more questions, then we're going to do some audience questions. I mean, uh, just as far as him like beefing with people, did that? Do you think that changed how you saw? Because you would obviously heard his side and kind of gotten the actual real story. Do you feel like that ch changed how you saw like the industry and how people sort of, you know, uh, position themselves, posture, and all of that kind of thing? No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like the rap industry is so much with facades. Like you know. I remember when, you know, like with, he was trolling with his security guards. Those security guards he had protect all your favorite rappers. Like, y'all could look it up. The Shadow Group, go, go watch the Instagram page. They protect everybody who you think is gangster. When YG goes to, goes to New York, he has security guards. You don't got gang members. Hip-hop is a business. The, the portrayal or image that dudes are tough and they don't fuck with this or whatever. Like, 6ix9ine kind of broke the veil a little bit because, really, he's a troll. He don't give two fucks, but, like, he kind of he showcased a lot of stuff. He was, at one point, trying to keep up. He thought everything was real. So I remember when he, he was like, okay, I'm beefing with this guy. Okay, we got to go do all these things. And then he realizes that's not how shit is. This is music. You know, and he learned a little bit too late, but like he was like already in too deep when he figured out that the people online that you're trying to prove that not because you're rainbow headed and you troll that you're not pussy to, they're going to think you're pussy no matter what. I kept telling them, I'm like, yo, bro, you could shoot somebody in Times Square. They're going to still say you're pussy. Like you cannot prove to the Internet to be what, say, the perception of Meek is or YG or anybody else. They don't believe you. You cannot change that narrative. And, you know, he wrote out a lot on trying to, you know, he was like, oh, well, people think, people think I won't go at Chief Keith? All right, cool. Then, you know, like, shit, he was bragging. Like, he was like, yo, 
yo, what everybody's saying about Chief Keith getting shot at in New York? They don't care. You know, like, so he, he learned, I think, I hope he learned that lesson, because if he ain't learned that lesson, he's going to go right back, or it's going to be worse. But um, the internet doesn't, the internet will never change on what they really think of you. And also, in terms of the rap industry, niggas is here for, for money, through music, all that tough shit that y'all were doing, y'all got to keep that away from music. It's not going to be lucrative. And just like really finishing that question, he got a little power hungry towards the end. And, you know, it all uh, resulted in where it ended up now. So it, 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 there's a chance that he's going to get out shortly. And, you know, there's all this stuff about this new record deal he signed. And it also seems like, you know, before he went in, he was working with all the biggest artists, Kanye West, Nicki Minaj, etc. And when he gets out, he's going to be probably a bit of a pariah. Are you still going to, like, work with him and, like, be pals with him and all that? Niggas don't like me regardless. <laughs> Yo, if I was, like, really liked, I would do the shit that people that are really liked do. Y'all not going to like me if I say no. So why the fuck would I say no? I'm not no street nigga. Like, listen, again, I I've said before, I don't, I've never believed in street codes. Like, you can't tell me that nigga who can't obey the law, who robs, steal, will kill, has some type of brotherly code with niggas who they got jumped in a gang with. Get out of here. I don't believe in those personally. What I do believe in is just human traits, like loyalty. And for that, I have questions about him. You know, like, you know, like in times I've talked to him, like since he's got locked up, all those questions haven't been answered. And, you know, for me to still consider him as a friend going forward, I think those, like, all the details in those questions has to be addressed. But in terms of, niggas be looking at me like, yo, yo, he told on some street, I'm not a street nigga. Like, people gotta, like, I've never ever, like, acted like, it's crazy when I see non-street niggas acting like they care about street shit. And when I mean street shit, like, street codes and shit like that. Like, to keep it real, we're all just watching from behind a lens, and it's fascinating, but, like, those aren't our morals and values. Like, I'm not going to shoot none of y'all in here. <laughs> but a street nigga will. You feel me? Like, and, and also it's super selective. Like, the way how street niggas handle stuff, like, we're, we only care because we want our favorite entertainers, and it only happens in music, we want our favorite entertainers to be the toughest, the baddest, the most gangster, and to do all the crime but still get away with it. It don't happen like that. So I look at it, um, you know, as the case played out, you know, Shadi, Shadi was a real great person to me. I treat people how they treat me. I think it's really unfortunate how that has played out. I have a lot of questions still about all that type of stuff, but I'm not one of these niggas that's going to be saying, oh, yeah, I ain't fucking with him. No, I'm not no street nigga. Don't expect me to, 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 to ride like y'all street niggas. Y'all don't have to fuck with him, but hey, if he was my friend before, yeah, I have loyalty questions about him now, but we will see. I think time will tell on how that gets resolved. Um, that's kind of la lastly wrapping it up. Uh, tell us about Little Ack. How did that come about? You know, just pivot to you know a rap career. What do you see as your goals with that, and all of that kind of thing? So I mean, in a way, I kind of look at myself like you see the platform I've kind of created. I kind of look at myself a little bit like Diddy, except not not maybe the nigga who's like yo all up in the video and shit. You get me? It's like. At some point, I do want to um, fall back, put on more people that are talented in different fields. But hip-hop, at this point, it's at the place where 
Once you get behind the scenes, you realize what most of these niggas are. Most of your favorite rappers, like, I see them get fabricated and manufactured. The, the term industry plan, if anybody's familiar with it, that's like 100% true. Like, I literally saw them grab a kid who was not selling a lick of music for like 24 months. They cut his hair. They took some fake pictures to create a background. They made him get in a fake relationship. That's what the music industry is. It's so fake. And they literally put him in a studio with talented producers and they gave him a song and he sung it. He acted depressed and the shit is actually moving. This is a real rapper right now. He's not all the way on, not like a billboard top 40s, but he's, he's moving. So I looked at that and I was like, I, don't, I wasn't in the industry back in the 90s. I don't know what level of skill that took or whatever, but like these days you could literally create something. So I said, you know what, I'm going to parody all of this shit that I see because maybe the way how I did the Warren Chirac, I love satire. I feel like satire is the only way to, like, when, when you're the unpopular person or unpo you have an unpopular opinion, the only way you'll ever let people get it is through satire. I learned it from the boondocks. Like, the boondocks made fun of some of the shit we thought was the coolest shit in the world until you kind of be like, you know what, this shit is stupid. But it was stupid from the get-go. You just weren't willing to accept it was stupid until someone showed it in that light. So, like, you know, um, with, with music, I do love music, though. I do love music. So it's like I do parody, and, you know, I'm hoping the songs get a little bit better that people could enjoy. But it, it's, it, it's like my satire take of music. The only thing is that I'm just, I'm, I'm just probably one out of half the artists in the game that's willing to call this shit satire. Like, if you don't know, Old Town Rose, that's a parody. It's the same thing with Lil Akins. If you listen to, and I've listened to this motherfucker's whole catalog, every song he dropped before, Old Town Road. Lil Nas X literally was joking when he made that song. Right. There's videos, which I don't know if they've like, fully been publicized, of him like talking like uh, the prototypical or just the, like, the average like, country singer. And he fucking made a song and it went... You know, but nobody looks at it like that. Mm. But really, all this shit that's popping off now is parody. Right. Like, all these people, it, it, like, rap has turned into memes living within themselves. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming through. Thank, first, let's give a round of applause. Hold on, to, first of all, oh, before we do that, just want to mention, pardon me. if you are a new, new to the podcast, subscribe to our podcast. It's called Catch Up. Follow us on Instagram. It's at Catch Up Podcast. And now we can thank our guest, DJ Academics. Thank you all for being here.